Come with me as we dive into some of the most intimate diaries a person could share. My mission is to inspire you to push through during the toughest of times, too. Thank you for being here. I can't wait for you to hear these stories. This is Push Diaries Podcast. I'm your host, Tess. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Push Diaries Podcast. If you're new here, thank you so much for listening. We are on to our 14th episode this weekend here at the end of July, and I'm very excited to have another very inspiring person from the HBO documentary called Any One of Us. It is an excellent film showcasing many inspiring individuals who have undergone a spinal cord injury of some kind and been able to push through and overcome it. Disability is an issue I have talked a lot about on my podcast and also something that I feel like we need to talk more about because our abilities are so greatly changing and differ person to person and throughout time as we age. But what would you do if you were a kid when you went through the loss of ability? How do you cope with something so terrifying when you're so young and have no understanding of anything other than your body working for you and doing what you need it to? Mike Mack is in his 30s now, but when he was a teenager, he suffered a basketball accident during a play that he had done thousands of times before, but this time... He injured himself much deeper and much more intensely than he had realized. Come along with us and hear his story. Episode 14, Mike Mack. I feel like I wish I would have your skills in the sound department on this side because I'm working with very limited resources, but hey, that's all right. Yeah, I I listened to the podcast and it sounds fine. Like, honestly, it's anything could be you know, better if you're like in a perfect situation with a soundproof room and all that. But no, it, it, it sounds good. So good job. Thank you. So you know who Annette is? Yeah, I've known her for a long time. Not like super close, but you know, uh, pretty close because I think she worked with, um, worked out with my trainer as well. I think she showed up to, there's a, a scholarship foundation that um, I got a scholarship to called uh, Swim with Mike. I think she was a part of that. Um, in some capacity, like a fundraiser or something. But yeah, we, we definitely bonded over the uh, the documentary, which is obviously really great. How did you get hooked up with that? Uh, let's just start there, I guess. Sweet. So um, my good friend that I've known for 17 years in my recovery, my whole recovery, uh, is Aaron Baker. And uh, he got asked to do um, uh, the project or the, the film as well. And they asked him to recruit some more people that he thought would be good for the documentary. And so he gave me a call and was like, hey, you know, um, Red Bull's doing this documentary um, on Paul Basagodia and wanted to get more people involved. Then he was like, would you be interested? And I was like, hell yeah, this would be amazing. You know, Um, I think it's like really important to tell the story like true stories of uh people who have suffered from spinal cord injuries and like i think what was so great about the documentary is that it actually did such a good job of showing what's behind like the chair what's behind the person you know and and um the spinal cord injury itself because like you can see somebody right on the outside but it doesn't really show like 
behind the scenes, and I thought that they did a really good job with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, one of my favorite parts was how they did do interviews of each of you just throughout the whole documentary, little snippets of how you all cope, because you're right, we all cope differently, and you actually seemed a little bit sad in there every now and then, like... <laughs> And and I'm glad that you were vulnerable in that way because it's really hard. Like, none of that's easy. And I'm so excited to hear your story. And I know Aaron Baker, he's still in a wheelchair, right? But Paul's walking. Like Yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul and I are very similar in terms of, like, our where we're at in our recovery. Um, I can't do the things that he can do on a bike, though. Like, he still, he still shreds it up on a bike for sure. Yeah. I know. I, I just went off the curb at my sidewalk at my apartments last night to throw the ball for my service dog, and I felt like a huge badass, but it's like a five-inch jump, so I know hey, that, like... Hey, you got to celebrate those victories, whether they be the biggest ones or the smallest ones. It's still a victory, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and with my spinal fusion, I feel like some of that, you know, the stuff that ricochets, like, or reverberates, whether that's going off a jump or, you know, popping a wheelie. Yeah, I just don't do as much of that. So I'm glad you're talking about differences in abilities because that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I guess I, I usually start with these podcasts kind of talking about growing up, your family, your faith, your interests. You had the neck injury or a spinal injury from basketball, right? Yeah. So I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, been here my whole life. I'm 33 years old now and uh, grew up playing sports very competitively, was very active and, you know, cared more about sports than anything else uh, in the world. I mean, I definitely was like a good student, but cared way more about sports and just trying to be active and competitive and really was like kind of being molded to be somewhat of a leader. Um, I, that's what I consider myself to be. And uh, when I was in high school, uh, my sophomore year, I was playing basketball f- uh, for my high school team and went up for a layup. And when I jumped, uh, somebody was had their hands up and then ducked. And then so I my legs hit the top of their back. So they tabletopped me or low bridge me. So then I fell on my back. I tore two ligaments from that fall, but I got back up. So like it wasn't, there wasn't any type of like injury that happened immediately. Um, It just was like a pretty severe fall. And I finished that tournament, started another tournament that was like, I don't know, a couple days later, feeling fine. And then I was uh, warming up in layup lines and started to notice like, man, I'm not able to run. Like I just... I'm trying to like move faster, but I just feel like there's this like brick in my body that's like weighing me down. So, yeah. um, did you have any pain with that? Like, did you have any shooting pain going off your shoulder? Nope, no pain at that specific moment. It just was like I was really moving, like I, I had a cement brick in my body. And, uh. um, so for the first time ever in my life, I pulled myself out of a game. I was a starter, I was a team captain. Like, I, um, you know, obviously always wanted to lead my team to victory, but I I realized like, I'm not going to be able to help our team at all. So I got to pull myself out. And so I sat on the bench the whole game and then told my parents like, you know, that I can't really run and I was in some pain. So the next day I went to an acupuncturist and he started, uh, 
putting needles in my back and then did a little bit of a massage afterwards and then touched this one part of my back and I was just like, whoa, what the hell is that? You know, and, and just had extremely, extremely bad pain. Then after, I want to say, a couple of weeks of seeing my acupuncturist, I saw a, um, a chiropractor and when I saw the chiropractor, he cracked my neck and I was like, whoa, I was 15 years old when it happened. So the way that my neck moved and the, the sound that it made, I was like, whoa, what the hell is this? This is crazy, you know? Um, yeah. Did your, did he notice too that like it felt different in the way um, your back cracked? You know, it, it's hard to say now because it's been so long. It's been 17 yeah. years, but um, I like, I got a little bit of relief. But it just was like, you know, a weird situation for me to be in at 15 years old, not knowing what the hell is going on and not knowing if like acupuncture was helping or the one time that I saw the chiropractor. But I was just trying all these different um, things to help relieve the pain that was in my back. I went to go see numerous doctors. They all wrote me off like I was OK. They thought that it was just like emotional trauma because when I was in high school, I had just like broke up with my girlfriend. So it's one of those funny things where I'm like, come on, guys, like I am crying in your office, writhing in pain. And you're going to write it off as like that. I had emotional trauma from a breakup. Like, come on, I'm 15 years old. You yeah, that they'll like take that one little piece that is fact and pretend like that's the problem. It's like, can you look a little deeper here? Because yeah. sure, I'm sad about that. But at 15, like, you know, when your body's hurting. Yep. Then I, I had an x-ray, nothing showed up on the x-ray supposedly. And so they just gave me some muscle relaxants and some painkillers. And I'm not like a pill popping guy. Like I very, I steer way more towards like natural supplements and just natural healing in general. Um, I totally understand, you know, taking medication and I understand pain medication for sure. I just try to stay steer away from that. So after I want to say maybe th so three weeks from the fall, I just I was going through all these different modalities of like trying to, uh, you know, fix my pain and just get back to, you know, playing basketball again. But I had missed, you know, three weeks of basketball. I missed three weeks of school. I was in a lot of pain. And then I ended up going back to school one day because I had missed a couple of weeks. And when I was at school. I started feeling just everything kind of coming on me, like the weight of my chest was heavier, like I wasn't able to stand uh, as strong, I wasn't able to walk Gosh. like that that well, and so I called my mom, I was like, hey, you got to pick me up, I got to go home, I can't be at school, like I just don't feel good, so she came and picked me up, we went back to my house in Culver City, and then I started like walking around my house, and then all of a sudden... I collapsed into uh, our sofa and then pushed myself from the sofa onto the ground and then like lifted up my shirt, touched my stomach. Sure enough, couldn't feel or move anything from my chest all the way down. Um, so at wow. that moment, I, I, I was paralyzed, but I had no idea what was going on. I thought maybe it's because of the medication. Maybe it was because of some other weird thing. And my mom was tripping, too, because she didn't know what was going on. Like, nobody thought, like, paralysis was even part of the equation, you know? Right. You had gone three weeks 
I mean, not just fine, but you were walking. Yeah, exactly. You didn't realize that you were declining, but you were. Yeah, exactly. So, um, that's then so my, scary. Yeah. Then my, um, then my dad came home and I was still lying on the floor, you know, not able to push myself up, not able to move, whatever. And he tried to pick me up. And when he picked me up, like, obviously, I wasn't able to stay and I couldn't feel anything from my chest all the way down. So I just fell right through his arms uh, onto the ground again. And then that's when my mom was like, all right, well, let's call 911. They need to, you know, take you in and and see what is going on. So I got rushed into the hospital and after having a, like a two, not, not maybe not a two hour MRI, but like an MRI of like everything, you know, my head, my neck, my back and everything. They, um, they, re- they found out that what happened was I had two torn ligaments in my, uh, back that started to, uh, bleed in my spinal cord. And what happened was, uh, it started to accumulate a blood clot. So I had a six inch blood clot pressing on my spinal cord from C7 to T3. Um, At that point, I had no idea what was going on. Everything was moving so fast. Um, I I got the MRI. I got blood work done, all this other stuff. And then they told my parents what was going on. And then the next thing you know, they were prepping me for surgery. I uh, talked to my twin brother and my best friend. and And I said, like, my goodbyes because I had no idea what was going on. I thought I thought I was dying, you know. Um, and so then I got wheeled into um, surgery, and I just remember them saying, like, when you wake up, you're going to have a really sore throat. That's all that I remember them saying to me. Then I got knocked out, went into surgery four and a half hours later, come out. Um, then I'm in uh, ICU for four days. What did you know or your parents know about like what that surgery would look like? Or was it literally, like you said, so fast that you really, truly didn't know what they were doing? My parents didn't want to tell me anything like negative or anything like super severe. So they and I trust my parents with my life, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and, I, and I feel like they did. They made all the right decisions for sure, because I think one of the things that's helped me throughout my recovery is just having like blind faith and a lot of hope. Um, and so they, they took away kind of any negativity or any like thing that was going to kind of hurt my recovery, whether it be mentally or physically. So, um, yeah, like for me on my end, I didn't really know what was going on, but my parents did. And my twin brother did had faith in that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I knew like I had to go into surgery and they're going to take something out of my back and like, that was it. But I had no idea that, you know, I was paralyzed or that I'd have like some crazy, you know, recovery or anything like that. I thought I'm either going in and I'm dying or I'm going in and I'm coming out and I'm going to be okay. In the ICU for four days, I lost 16 pounds, had an out of body experience. Um, And then after four days in ICU, I got transferred to uh, Northridge Hospital Rehab Center in the Valley. And I was there for for three months. And that's when I learned more about like, A, what was what happened to me, B, what my recovery was going to look like and C, that the doctor said, like, you know, 
you're not going to walk again. And then that's when I told him like, well, how many people have uh, walked out of the hospital? And he said, not many. So I said, well, add me to that list because I'm not leaving here till I walk again. And, uh, you know, that's when my my rehab really started, not only mentally, um, but physically as well. Yeah. So for three months, you said you were sleeping overnight there or were you? Yeah. Wow. No, I was in the hospital straight up uh, 24-7 for, yeah. for three months. So I bet some of that, have you blocked out any of that? Like, are there parts about that you have forgotten because it was so intense or like how long did it take you to get to grips with like whoa I'm gonna this is gonna take a while you know there are some people that came into my my room that were that wanted to talk to me about wheelchair basketball and all these other things that you can do in a wheelchair and um I really appreciated that people were willing to like talk to me that that have like made it out of the hospital but at the same time, I was really focused on myself and my recovery, and I, I, I knew that um, I, I thought the whole time, like, I'm going to be back in two weeks playing basketball. Like, I never, ever thought, like, this is going to take a very long time or that it would be the rest of my life, you know? And uh, so I remained uh, extremely hopeful, extremely faithful, and um, maybe a little bit ignorant, you know? Um, Yeah, I know what you mean. I feel like I, looking back on my experience, I feel like I was ignorant sometimes too. But in our cases, maybe it was helpful in the beginning because it protected us. For sure, for sure. I think, you know, um, it's one thing to hear people say things about your recovery. It's another thing to accept it, but then it's another thing to challenge yourself with it, you know? So for me, I, I was like, all right, well, I viewed it as breaking my leg. I, you know, you have a cast on for a while, you're on crutches and then, you know, the cast comes off and then the hard work happens of like rehab and everything. So I just, I viewed it as that. I never thought of my spinal cord injury as being, um like life-changing and I still don't I still don't see it as a life-changing injury I think that it's been a life-growing injury you know like uh I've learned so much about myself um mentally spiritually emotionally physically um that I don't see it as like changing in a bad way i think sometimes people focus on change and they like you know they'll say like oh man you changed you're different now but change is not a bad thing when you're growing you know and i think that at least for me change and growth should be um synonymous with each other so um i just yeah i i I put my nose to the grindstone and, and i like focused on pt uh, as opposed to like occupational therapy or recreational therapy. Um, I like doubled up on that. And thankfully I have like amazing parents and an amazing twin brother and a good support group. And they rallied around me and I went from like moving my left foot to, uh, standing up straight to then taking a couple steps on the parallel bars to then, um, walking with a walker and then from walker to forearm crutches and then that's when I left the hospital on forum crutches and I had a wheelchair for like longer distances and everything. But, um, 
that was like the progression in terms of getting out of the hospital. Sure. So were you really exhausted? Do you remember like with those pain meds, like how long did you have to be on them? I mean, and how invasive was your surgery then? Now looking back, I mean, when they removed that blood clot, how do they do that? Do they vacuum it out of you or did they have to like cut open part of your bones to get in there? Yeah. So I had a triple laminectomy. So they shaved off three of the lamina on my back and the lamina is, you know, when you bend over like the bony uh, the part of your back. Yeah, exactly. Dang. So, they, so they shaved off th- uh, three of those, went in, fixed the two torn ligaments, put like somewhat of a drain to uh, drain the blood clot. So actually when I came out of the hospital, uh, like came out of surgery, I still had like something that was draining the blood clot. Um, uh, and that was like, there was like blood just sitting on the side of my shoulder, oh, which is a little bizarre. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Modern medicine. It's like, yeah. what? You yeah. want to my body for <laughs> Yeah. It's pretty crazy. You just, at that point, you know, when it's, when it's something as invasive as that, you just kind of, you got to put your trust in somebody else. And, and, you know, doctors are doctors for a reason. They, they went through extremely, extremely hard, uh, schooling and tests and this, that, the other thing. So, you know, um, I just had to put my faith in them and be like, okay, they're going to take care of me. I remember actually before one of the last things that I said before, my surgery was I saw like all the nurses around me and I was like, you guys are my angels. You guys are going to protect me. And then they, uh, the anesthesiologist came in, knocked me out and I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing how quick those drugs work. Cause I, yeah. I remember before my surgery too, I was like, I think they had asked me a question and I was like trailing on and on and then yeah. I fell asleep. I was like, well, okay. So that's what that feels like. Yeah, it's so crazy. That probably <clears throat> was not like the best night's sleep because I didn't wake up really well, but like I was out, super yeah. out. Like you don't remember it. You yeah. and I could have both been dead at that point. Not, yeah. not, you know, given two hoots, but. Yeah, exactly. Dang. Yeah. So did you see other kids like your age in PT? Like, so I was one of the youngest on the floor. I was 15. The only other per, like young kid that was there was like a um, 13 year old girl named Ellen, who um, I will never forget. She had uh, a brain tumor. And uh, so she, the, the tumor was pressing on her brain in a certain way where she needed to learn how to like walk again and talk. I mean, it was like a very severe thing. And she like before her in before her tumor, she was like walking and talking and like a happy kid. And then all of a sudden it happened. And then she like, it was as if she had uh, symptoms of like a stroke. Um, But she was in the room next to me. And so my mom and her mom, kind of bonded because we were the two, you know, young kids and everything. Um, fast forward to, I want to say maybe a year after the hospital or a year and a half to two years. Um, unfortunately, Ellen passed away from, uh, cancer and that was obviously really tough. Um, cause her, she was a very bright light in not only her family's world, but, you know, in the hospital as well. She just was always smiling and laughing and stuff. But um, outside of her and myself, 
in the hospital, most people were, I'd say, like 25 years old and up. And I actually had a roommate who was a stroke patient at one time who was like 60 years old. Um, so it was really interesting to have roommates as I'm 15 years old and like, you know, talk to like a 60 year old who oh, had a yeah. stroke, who's learning how to like talk again and walk again and stuff. So, um, you know, I made the most of, of my time in the hospital. I got along very well with all the nursing staff and the doctors, um, and the physical therapists and everything. I, you know, I honestly would say that I enjoyed my time there. You know, I wouldn't obviously go back and do it all over again, but just for yeah. fun. But, right. you know, I, I, I definitely made the most of it. I, I made it as fun as I possibly could. And mm -hmm. but I also it was work. You know, I worked extremely hard and, and had a goal and wanted to meet that. And I'm still chasing that. Yeah. Awesome. Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about Patreon. Patreon gives creators of all kinds the tools needed to acquire, manage, and energize their paying patrons. Support Push Diaries by subscribing to our Patreon page where you'll get exclusive content not found anywhere else. We just started a special series where me and my fiance Tyler talk about life and how we push forward together. Just go to patreon.com create a profile, and become a patron of Push Diaries Podcast and thousands of others. Thanks, and we'll talk again soon. So how did you get that leadership mentality? Like, are you, it was your twin brother like that? Is your dad like that? Your mom? Like, what things have you learned as a kid growing up? I mean, you're from L.A. I'm sure, like, you've met a lot of people, you know? Mm -hmm. So growing up, I mean, I like I said, I really, really love sports. And Michael Jordan was, like, my hero when I was growing up. So, um I saw what he did as a basketball player and as a leader, and I just wanted to be that. I wanted to be the best on my team. I wanted to lead my team. I wanted to carry myself the right way. And um, so I was really focused on being the best uh, that I could be, and but also pave the way for people, you know, behind me and, and um, kind of use my life as like a, a learning lesson or like a tool, you know, like a guide. You know, I would say that my brother is uh, a leader as well. My mom and dad are both very focused and, and leaders and they just work extremely hard. We come from a family that, that just doesn't take no for an answer and doesn't let, you know, any type of injury or ailment bring us down. It's just another hurdle in, in the, the marathon of life. The best way to get over it is to just go right through it, you know, as tough as it may be, but yeah. So you were in the hospital for three months and you did the rehab. Then like when you went home, what did that look like? Like, did you, I imagine you were a little bit more dependent on your family for a little while. Um, Definitely. you guys just rallied together and got 
all the chores done you needed and got you to school and Mm -hmm. yeah I, i had a shower chair that uh I used in the mornings and then my dad would take my brother and I to school because my brother didn't get his license yet. And then my dad would pick us up from school and take us home because I, I lived in Culver City, which is like West L.A. and went to, to high school in the Valley, which is, you know, pretty long distance. And my mom worked as a teacher in Santa Monica. So my dad would take us to school. My mom would pick us up or we, we or like when we were freshmen and sophomores, we would take the bus. But Obviously, like when I had my spinal cord injury, my mom came and picked us up all the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, things changed a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, getting ready for school in the morning and what it looked like at school, too, because we my my school was just a, a small Catholic, like all boys school. And it, there was just like two floors. There was like a top floor and a bottom floor in so some of my classes were upstairs. So I left class probably like five minutes early. And then they gave me like a five minute grace period in terms of getting to my next class. So I'd have like a wheelchair to like zip around in when I first went back to school. And then I <clears throat> um, use my forearm crutches to go up and down the stairs. And I had like two of my friends to help me get to my classes and everything. And then as it's, as I started to get better, I was able to do it on my own, <clears throat> but I never, I didn't have to like retake my sophomore year. Cause when I was uh, in the hospital, I was still doing some schoolwork. And then I did a lot of schoolwork over the summer. Um, so I would still like graduate on time with my twin brother and make sure that like, you know, I wasn't pushed back into another grade and have to like sure. hang out with new friends and all that stuff. What did your friendships look like after that happened? Did you lose any friends? Did you make new ones? Were you accepted well? Were yeah. You surprised yeah. looking back by how people treated you at all? Yeah, there, I mean, th- there were some very strange and interesting and, and tough situations that that I was in, especially at 15, because, you know, no one really knows what like, a spinal cord injury is at 15. I sure as hell didn't like, yeah. I, I just thought like I stated in the documentary and I, I feel bad saying this, but I just thought like when someone was in a wheelchair, that that was because they were in a wheelchair from birth, you know, that they weren't able to walk and that they had some um, disease or ailment or something from birth. Yeah. I didn't know that you could end up in a wheelchair. That was just me being extremely ignorant. And, and also in school, Nobody taught us this stuff. Like No, uh-uh. I feel the same way, Mike. I yeah. I always would look at people in a wheelchair, too, and be like, oh, they've been in that forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And now it's like, dang, like, I've been in a wheelchair since 2014, but, you know, 25 years of my life, I was healthy and active, and never did I think for a second that I would be in a chair now, you know? So Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, you never... Unfortunately, I think, and and this comes from just a lack of education and just general knowledge, whether it be on the internet or, or, I mean, now it's a little bit better, but still, you know, the spinal cord injury community, like our voices aren't as loud as I would like them to be, you know, and that's not on necessarily us per se, but it's just being able to, to have the platform and yeah. to, to be represented on screen and be represented in music and all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think like 
the more and more that our voices get heard, be it podcasts, documentaries, movies, music, you know, uh, the more that people that have spinal cord injuries are in the public eye, mm-hmm. then people will start to understand like, oh, wow, these are the different things that yeah. can happen to somebody at, at different stages of their life. And it doesn't make them different from us. It just means that, you know, we need to like understand them a little bit more so we can approach with compassion and embrace and not look at them as being different. It's just, you know, another normal person like you or me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, shit, if you're born with a heart, you are a normal person. Right. I mean, yeah, which is everybody's a normal person, you know? Yep. And, uh, I, I think like that whole phrase of like, you know, oh, well, they're different. I I hate that. I think it's so, so rude to say because it's like, OK, well, I might walk a little bit differently. Somebody might uh, use a wheelchair for for um, transportation. But we're still the same. Like you yeah. like when we when we die, we're still the same. Yeah. When we're born. We're still the same. Still the same, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just how we navigate through life might be a little bit like different than the next person, but you know, it, it, yeah, I, I'm. Differences huge... shouldn't be so focused on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it it is hard because when you're a kid and you know you're you don't know anyone with a disability, it is it's it seems like a strange or just like you said it's just to put it nicely like we were kind of ignorant but not in a mean way just we just truly didn't know so exactly and yeah I don't remember in health class growing up like my teacher ever saying like oh and you have to be really careful about your spinal cord you know yeah yeah yeah. no like don't be too big of a dumbass because you could really hurt yourself like long term so yeah yeah exactly no, I think there's there needs to be a giant shift in education in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I agree, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we could talk about all the things, but yeah, oh, for sure. history, health, like physiology, even mental health is so under talked about. And that's such a big part of disability, too. Um, when you talk about access to things and how people handle things that can be really challenging when you have a spinal cord injury and maybe you don't have the resources or the energy to find them. So are you, do you feel like being in LA has opened you up to more community around disability or do you feel, I mean, I guess you're still saying we're we're not heard and I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I mean, Christopher Reeves, right. is like someone I remember in my memory growing up that was like, really inspirational in a chair but I still didn't know how he got into a chair or what his life looked like day to day but I just knew that when he spoke he was very inspiring and obviously very intelligent but yeah it's just like it is it's hard it's hard to think about us as kids and like not knowing people Mm -hmm. with with varying abilities yeah so to answer your question like I when I first got injured, I didn't really, you know, dive in and and become like a full participant in the um, disabled community or like uh, spinal cord injured community. I was so focused on like just kind of continuing my 
life, talking. right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and making like one of the things for me as a as a kid as at 15 that was important to me was to not be seen as different. So I didn't want to like all of a sudden because I, you know, uh, was in a wheelchair for a while or or walked a little bit different, like just hang out with people that are in wheelchairs and just hang out with people that walk a little bit different. I wanted to like hang out with my friends, like whether they be black, brown, Asian, whatever, you know, yeah. uh, big, small, or if they were in a wheelchair or not. I just wanted to hang out with my friends. I wanted my yeah. friends to still be to, to, to still be my friends, uh, no matter what I look like or how I walk or whatever. So I really put a lot of focus on that and, you know, kept a good core uh, group of friends as I got older. And yeah. it wasn't until like, you know, maybe, I don't know, five years after my injury that I started to like get a little bit more involved in the spinal cord injured community. Um, I also found it very, very hard for me because, um, and this is still like an excuse because I feel like, you know, I can do a lot of help for people just by listening to them and telling them, you know, my story and, and giving them some advice. But it was very hard for me to um, talk to people who maybe not uh, weren't able to recover as much as I because their injuries were so much more severe. And so I always felt like, well, they probably don't want to listen to me. And I feel terrible because I'm like, yeah, this I'm able to walk and, and the I'm talking to somebody who might not be able to walk and I don't want to say the wrong thing or, or right, you know, give them. yeah, offend them or like give them false hope or, or whatever. And I, I, I do believe that, you know, uh, impossible is nothing. We can overcome a lot of different things. But, you know, my injury is so different than your injury and your injury is so different than the next person. So. Um, I think what I'm learning as I'm getting older is that just to be there and encourage people and say that they're, um, you know, able to do anything that they can set their mind to, but also to understand that like their injury is not my injury no. and like they can't like, we're, like, like somebody said in, um, I think it was Toby in the documentary, you know, we're all snowflakes. Like, we're so different. Not one of us is the same. Like, I met somebody who had somewhat of a similar injury to me, but it's still so different, so different. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so another thing, too, that, that I felt like that, that that's, like, um, weighs heavy on me sometimes is, like, meeting young women who are, like, 15 years old or so who are in a wheelchair because I know what it was like as a boy to be in a wheelchair and a boy to like um, be recovering from a s severe injury. And it was already hard. So then I thought like, man, you know, if I were to ask God like any questions, it, it would be, you know, why is this poor, why is this poor girl having to suffer from this? This is so unfair. Like, I hate seeing that because I know how hard it was for me. And it's 10 times harder for for a girl, you know, because just societal pressures and, you know, being seen even more as being different. And so that always like really, really, really broke my heart. And, yeah. you know, I just want to I, I want to like fix people, not in the way of like just doing all the work for them. But I wish that I had that magical power of being like, you know, no more pain for you. You're able to walk like 
basically be like Jesus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We but, could use Jesus today. That's for sure. All yeah, of us good. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So yeah, I, you know, to, to answer your question, um, kind of quickly, I, I guess I would say I, I've become more part of the community over the past couple of years. Um, but you know, for, for my teenage years into my early twenties, I was just really focused on like hanging out with my twin brother and my close friends and, and never being seen as being different. You know, that's good though. Like that's what got you through, you know, because you weren't overcome by your situation. So just hearing your story, hearing about how you got through it and it's okay that like, when, when a normal person walking down the street looks at you, Mike, like they don't realize that you ever had that experience. So mm-hmm. just the fact that you're willing to speak out about it, be on that documentary, like, because, you know, there are people like me who probably in this lifetime won't ever walk again unless I get on the rewalk list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're still a story. You're still a success story that got through something like unimaginable. So I think the more that you can, or the not the more, but the opportunities that you can speak out about it, I think is really powerful. Um, and you're the type of guy who would like get the door for a girl in a wheelchair or a girl just walking, you know, like, I think that just level of respect you have for other people and yourself, because as you were talking, I just kept thinking like, yeah, if we could just heal people's mentality, right? Because just because I can't walk doesn't mean I don't have as much to offer society as you or exactly whoever else. But yeah, our society is really messed up in that way, isn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's just weird. But yeah, I think, you know, for, for me, one of the, the things that I've focused on is the emotional part of my recovery, because I feel like that's 10 times harder than the physical part because, you know, I, hundred percent. At least for me, you know, when I'm going to the gym, it's like, all right, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to lift this weight or I'm not going to lift this weight. But I don't have to think about that every single minute of the the day. Whereas like with a spinal cord injury, right, you know, you're thinking about so many different things. Is there a bathroom close to where I'm going? Like, are there uh, stairs that don't have rails? Are, is there, uh, areas that don't have ramps like there's so many different things that you think about psychologically right just can basic kinda, needs. exactly that it consume you so emotionally speaking i feel like the the recovery is way harder than the physical part you know um because the physical part is showing up and just putting in the the, the blood sweat and tears and you know i would say 99 percent of the people who have spinal cord injuries are doing that you know um, but it's the emotional part that actually gets you to the gym, right? Because when you're in bed, you're like, okay, now I get to decide what I'm going to do today. I don't want to go to the gym. I really don't. So yeah. you can psych yourself out. You can give yourself so many different reasons. But as you push through that emotional um, trauma and pain and all that stuff, that's what then gets you to the gym to then work on your physical part of the re- recovery. So for me, emotional part is is so important to focus on. And I, I honestly, I think like that's something that I think we could do better in the hospital is have a psychologist that really can work with people's mentality in the hospital. And then when they leave the hospital 
to prepare them. And, and I did have a good psychologist when I was there, but I wasn't able to like really yeah. um, kind of get what I needed, I guess, you know? Yeah. Like, like she or he didn't follow up with you for years and years. It was like, yeah, just while you were in there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, I agree. Yeah. Mental health is so important. And there have been times even in my recovery too, where I feel like, you know, I have gone through some bouts of depression. My mom has had depression. Her mom has had depression. Um, and, and that's been difficult because it's like, I can see the roadblock in my mind. It's like, an example would be, you know, you, you're a leader and you can like really push through the hard times. And I had faith and hope too, but it was always like, you know, sometimes we hear our parents in our heads. It's like, of course. just sometimes my attitude would be just so poor to be totally honest. that it was just mm-hmm. like, I finally thank God was able to like notice those thoughts and be able to write them out. And then now when they come into my head, I can like let them go and be like, no, that's not me. Like that's whether that be, you know, Satan or, you know, just negativity that I've heard throughout my life that I have somehow it's like on a loop in my head. I've been Mm -hmm. able to like recognize that and drop it. But yeah, without my education and interest in mental health, I don't think I would be as strong as I am today. Um, and it's cool too, Mike, to hear about your faith. Like, what? Who was God to you when you were a kid? I mean, going to Catholic school—that's like a super awesome thing that you were able to do. That, um, yeah. How has your faith in God or belief in God changed over the years? If you're comfortable sharing, of course. Um, you know, I, I I never was like very religious in my life ever. I still am not. Um, I I believe in like a higher power and I believe in God for sure. Um, and I believe that, that like, obviously everything that Jesus taught, I love, like, it's, it's amazing. You know, those, those are like the easy foundations of living like a, a, a full life. And yeah. unfortunately I think, you know, religion can sometimes get in the way of, uh, people associating with each other because they're like, Oh no, but this is the way that you got to, uh, yeah. pray not this way you know mm-hmm. so <clears throat> I'm like very open I'm not a nominational nonpartisan. I just like to be able to have open conversations be it with you know God or like other uh, friends and family and stuff and be able to listen to the other side I'm not like you know this is how my relationship with God is and this is how you should have your relationship right. with God everybody has you know it differently you know uh, after I was able to, you know, walk around on my own and like shoot hoops again after my spinal cord injury. My church was the gym. I used to shoot and just think about things and like have like my own conversations with God. And like if I would miss a shot and the ball would go like super far away, it was I felt like a higher power being like, well, I'm going to teach you that you can walk and get that ball. You don't need somebody else to get it for you. So I would try to, I would just try to like use these different thing, uh, things that were happening as I was staying active as lessons from like a higher power that were just kind of reinforcing, um, you know, teachings, be it from Jesus or, you know, my parents or, or other people uh, in my life. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was like the court was a holy place for you. Oh, it was my sanctuary, straight up. It was my church. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Because it's just yeah. me, my basketball, and the hoop. That's it, you know. Yeah. And and whoever else I wanted to to um have join me in the gym, and I don't mean that physically. I mean like spiritually, emotionally, like just aura wise there as well. Um, you know, I I feel like if if you let other people in your thoughts, then your thoughts are not your thoughts. Right. You have to have a clear head. You ha you have to be able to push that away, be able to think for yourself, be able to, um, you know, express everything to somebody else. But it comes from like yourself, not like another voice in your head or right. somebody else telling you what to do. And that's that's when we get to be our purest selves, but also get to understand like um somebody else better because if if you're talking to me and you're just telling me things that other people are telling you then i don't know who tess is like when when you're talking to me with your pure self then i understand like okay this is who tess is and mm -hmm. i i really appreciate her for that you know so yeah yeah absolutely yeah if we could just get off of like a superficial level of meeting people right like mm -hmm. because our world is so superficial in so many different ways and, you know, those those idols are like exciting or d really distracting, but they don't serve a purpose long term. Right. Like. Mm -hmm. So like how Mike is a growing man then now today, like how has your disability when you were 15 and you say that, you know, it, it wasn't life changing, it was life growing. Like how how now 17 years later. Um, do you reflect back on that time? Has it shifted at all? Like how you would describe it? Um, I would say that I obviously grew up a lot faster and I was able to, you know, just learn so much about myself. Like I'm very, it took a while. Like I was very um, self-conscious for a while of like my body and um, just, I was different, especially when it came to like associating with girls but now I'm like the most open I've ever been in my life. I'm the most confident I've ever been in my life. I know what I can do. And I know that what I'm not able to do, that I can work on that. You yeah. know? So um, I feel like at 15, I was given a new set of tools and I just continue to sharpen them. And, yeah. I'm, able, and, and I'm able to uh, use them to my advantage and also lead the way. And, and that's that's one of the things that I'm really focusing on in terms of my like psychological and emotional recovery is, you know, I want to be able to win a Grammy or an Emmy or an Oscar one day and be able to walk up there and somebody see that I may walk like a little bit differently um, than somebody else. And I'll be able to use that platform to show like for real, it does not matter what you look like. It does not matter how you walk. It does not matter whatever modality you may use to like get you to that stage, whatever gets you to that stage, um, shows that we're all the same, you know, yeah. and we can, we can all do this, um, no matter what happens to us. So that's what I'm really focused on. And, and I, I, I'd really like to achieve in my life before it's all said and done. Yeah, well, it's it, like I said, it's super inspiring to hear you talk just about your drive and your passion. And, you know, there have been times, too, where, like, 
like a podcast, it's not that hard, right? Like you mic, you get a microphone and you learn how to edit. But like, I'm so glad that I'm doing it because I feel the same passion you do about like your drive and moving forward. Mm-hmm. I just want to connect so badly with people and share these stories so that we can inspire each other. And, you know, someone might be going through a spinal cord injury, Mike, in five years and pull up your episode and be like, whoa, that's what I needed to hear today. Like, it's not all going to come right now. I'm not going to get better right now today. But if I focus on the tools I have, work on sh- work on sharpening those, you know, asking other people how they do it too, those tools are really going to be beneficial for, for anyone long term. And I always think too about like, you know, you and I, who understand that our abilities don't just come and stay perfect forever, right? Like, again, in our society, even just aging is something people don't get. And, like, you and your brother and your parents are going to be more equipped to get them through their aging process and you even as an individual just going through what you have. For sure. (laughs) I agree. I think, you know, as corny as it sounds, it's true. Everything happens for a reason. And uh, I feel like in life, we are given a bunch of lessons and it's our, uh, we, we have the opportun- opportunity to learn from that or to not, you know, and I, I hope that more people than not, um, you know, learn from the lessons that are put in front of us, learn from the people um, that are put before us as well and pave the way for the people that come after us. Cause you know, obviously we have limited time on this earth, but if we continue to push a message forward, then that message is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And hopefully that message is, you know, uh, overcoming obstacles, but also like pushing peace, love and positivity so that peace, love and positivity ball just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We can all accept each other and we can all love each other and we can all heal each other. Cause I really believe like, you know, my injuries, it didn't happen just because of me. It happened because of my team. It happened because of my family. You know, like I would have never been where I am today if I didn't have my friends and family. Like, yeah, I, I believe that I work extremely hard and I'm, I'm focused and, um, I, I would consider myself to be very strong, but you know, there is no I in team. And and I really believe like that the more people that you have on your team that, uh, that put in the work, the more that you can achieve for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy that you had such a good support system because yeah, your life could have taken a very different route, you know, had you not been so positive. Um, what restrictions, Mike, do you have today then because of your injury? Like, I know you were talking about the weight room. Do you, do you just feel like you can't lift as much for as long? Like, is it stamina or talk about that a little bit? So I don't really live a restricted life. I'm able to ride a bike. I'm the only thing that I'm unable to do is just run. Um, I, I'm able to do pretty much anything. Um, like I picked up golf a couple years ago and I've been playing that very feverishly, um, for the last several years. And that's been great because I'm able to compete with my friends and be very competitive at it. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I am very grateful and thankful of the position that I'm in today 
because I live a very independent life. Um, you know, unfortunately, I am suffering from some low back pain right now, but that's from last year I got diagnosed with type one diabetes. So that like threw my body for a loop, but, but I'm, but I'm fixing that. And also I, I, you know, being in quarantine, like we, we miss having stretches and, uh, massages so bad. Like I need that so bad. Yeah, dude, I hear you there. I had to reschedule my massage, like, six weeks or eight weeks and I'm just like I cannot wait to go back to see her it's so so important yeah yeah Yeah. it's the best so yeah and and I I also think too you know there's a lot of things that I can do on my own that I may not be doing a hundred percent of and I'm and I'm humble enough to acknowledge that I'm not doing everything because one thing that frustrates me is when someone's like I've done everything I've tried everything it's yeah, impossible. Like, no, you haven't. Yeah, it's impossible. Like there are there are millions yeah. of solutions for things, and I think that we have to be humble enough to recognize that. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that you're not trying hard enough. It just means recognize that don't give up in your recovery. Don't don't yeah. don't think that you can't try something new or try something a little bit differently than you were than you were. And mm-hmm. One thing I was um, talking to uh, somebody about last night was uh, a quote that I am a huge proponent of is that you are part of the cure. And I literally mean that uh, word wise and then, you know, just phrase wise as well. The letter U is part of the cure. And that is for a reason, because we are part of the cure. We can't wait for a cure. We have to work for it. And that's so important to focus on because if we just sit around and wait for a cure to happen, we're not, our bodies are not going to be prepped enough for that surgery, for that pill, for whatever it may be. We have to be able to keep our, we have to stay ready. We don't like, so that way we don't have to get ready when it happens. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's very, very true. Yeah. The power of our thoughts is so Mm -hmm. big. And I love that we talked about that. Um, so how do you define resilience? I mean, I feel like you have for the past hour, but just for everybody listening, like what is resilience to you? I mean, like you just said, not thinking that you've done everything, not losing mm-hmm. hope. Yeah. I th- so when I was in the hospital, I adopted the motto, can't stop me. And uh, I actually tattooed that on my my. Uh, right foot where I wear my brace. So every single time I put my socks and shoes and my brace on, I see it. And it's 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 as simple as it sounds, right? The only person that can stop you is yourself. So um, no doctor, no um, quote unquote hater or whatever. Not that I have haters in my life, but like anybody yeah. that any, any doubters, you know, the only person that's going to stop you from getting to wherever you want to be mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that's yourself. No one, no one is, is, is hindering you from success. So, um, mm-hmm. you might have to fight through a lot for sure. There's no denying that, but mm-hmm. the, the, the power ultimately is in our hands and, uh, we might have to fight more battles than the next person. But the thing is that person ain't fighting your battles and you're not mm-hmm. fighting your, theirs. You have to fight your own. You really have to um, just give it your all and understand that maybe the, the, the outcome might not be what you wanted, 
but you can still work for that. It's never too late. It's never too late to learn. It's never too late to grow. It's never too late to like, you know, switch it up a little bit and try something new. So like my resilience, I, I would say comes from, from that quote and comes from understanding that there are a lot more, um, I'd say, God, there are a lot more solutions to problems. It's not just one. It's not math. You know, like two plus two obviously equals four. That's that. That's simple. But like, in order to walk again, you could try this. You could try this. You could try this. Yeah. You know, the possibilities yeah. are 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 endless, and we have to understand that. So. Yeah, it's so cool. Okay, so then, what would you tell someone who feels like they're settling or in an abusive? situation what are whether that be work or family or relationships like what's a first step someone can do to like start fighting against those demons whatever that is or or drugs or alcohol like mm-hmm. do you I have was, any advice about that because i'm sure you've had friends that have dealt with for sure you know I x think, y or b yeah i think the first step is to take a a, a step back and to look at the situation extremely humbly lose the ego completely yeah um, ego is lo- damaging. yeah and lose all expectations if you live a life with expectations you are going to be extremely frustrated and i did that like early on in my recovery i used to get so upset at my friends who weren't working who i thought weren't working as hard as i was or weren't training as hard as i was i was like why aren't you guys doing this like i'm i'm recovering from a spinal cord injury and you guys have legs you can run why aren't you running you know and i started to realize like i can't control them at all they you can lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink so for me to answer your question take a step back look at the situation that's in front of you with all the humility in the world understand that you know there are way more than just one uh solution to this equation Understand that there are so many different paths still that lead yourself to the top. And this, and, and guess what? When you get to the top, you got to keep climbing because there's always new mountains to climb. You're not going to climb all of them. And you also have to understand, too, that there are going to be people along the way that are going to extend their hands. Don't shy away from that because you're going to learn lessons. Because even if you get burned and you take two steps back, then you could take four steps forward. Yeah. from that from learning from that experience so don't shy away from things but i i think humility is key understanding that you can't have expectations is key and just trying to find as much peace in your mind body and soul as possible um amongst all the chaos because to me that's like the definition of peace yeah well very good that's awesome mike thank you so much for taking oh, it was the my time. pleasure yeah, yeah my pleasure. super super cool And then just lastly, like, are there any websites or foundations or anything related to anything we talked about today or not that you want people to know about? Yeah. So uh, there's a gym in the Valley that I was a part of that um, is doing phenomenal work. And it's uh, with my uh, trainer that I uh, worked with for early on in my recovery. And his name's Taylor Kevin Isaacs. And the gym is called Core C dot O dot R dot E, and it's the center of restorative exercise. They're doing a lot of great work in Northridge, California, which is uh, really 
close to where the hospital, the, the rehab that I went to, um, Northridge Rehab. And uh, so they're doing phenomenal things. I, I So I want to I thank them for everything that they've done and Taylor uh, specifically for that and what he's done for the spinal cord injured community, especially in Los Angeles and pretty much the world because he, he has clients uh, globally. But um, yeah. I also want to thank the foundation that gave me a full ride scholarship to USC, which is called Swim With Mike. Um, cause one of the things that's probably like my biggest accomplishment in my life is that, you know, when I was in eighth grade and I was like really focused on basketball and I told my mom, I'm gonna make it to the NBA and this, that, or the other thing. I told her, you're never going to have to pay for me to go to college because I'm going to get a college scholarship. So, <clears throat> um, that being said, like, you got I, it. I, I was able to, you know, keep my scholarship, like my, my promise to my mom and got a full ride scholarship to uh, to USC. So swim with Mike and Core, I gotta give a lot of props to. Yeah. So what is swim with Mike? Like, can you just tell me what exactly that is? Like, what is the foundation? Um. So they give uh scholarships to people who have severe injuries who either a would have had a uh, a scholarship for athletics. Um. And people who need assistance um, sure. financially uh, so that they can further their ed- education. And they give scholarships to uh, people like us who, you know, want to go to law school, want to go to graduate school, want to go to a four-year university under undergrad all across the nation. So, um, th- yeah, Very they're doing cool. they're doing great stuff. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't thank them the n- enough because I was able to keep my promise to my mom and also um, was able to go to a great university. That's super, super cool. Anything else that you want to add to the plug list here? Yeah, I would just say, you know, anybody that, that, um, you know, wants to ask questions or wants to talk to me, I'm an open book. I'd be happy to share my story. I'd be happy to talk to them you know, I'm in a good place uh, uh, mentally where I can, you know, listen to other people and tell them my story and, you know, just grow with them. And I, and that's what I'm here for. I'm never going to tell somebody what to do. I can just tell them what I've done and, you know, they can they can take what I say um, yeah. And, yeah. and use it. That's awesome. All right. Well, are you cool then? Can I just plug your Instagram to the website with your episode so people can just click on it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that'd be great. Sounds good. And then I'll be pestering you for like some photos. I don't know if you have any of like your family or your recovery (laughs) when you were a kid, like anything that goes along with what we talk about would be awesome. So thank you so much. And I will definitely like send people your way when they come talk to you about your episode. So awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great night. All right. You too. All right. We'll be in touch. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody can't stop me. Can't stop Mike. And I sure hope that this episode has inspired you to never stop yourself too. Mike and I hope that this episode has given you encouragement and confidence in yourself to achieve whatever you put your mind to. If you keep aiming high and you shoot for the stars and never give up on your dreams, imagine all that you could accomplish. 
Never give up on yourself. Never take your physical abilities for granted. And focus on a mindset that fosters love, peace, and positivity. With these skills in your court, you can't lose. Many thanks to Mike Mack for his confidence and dedication in making others see their worth and believing wholeheartedly in the people listening to this podcast, no matter where you're at in your journey. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, and I'm super excited to bring more stories to you in a couple more weeks. Be sure to check back for new content, and get caught up on the ones we've had so far. Please visit pushdiariespodcast.com to learn more about the podcast and see episode notes from Mike Mack. Please be sure to also check out his website at www.mike-mack.com. That's M-I-K-E-M-A-C com to check out Mike's demos and the projects he's been working on with tons of amazing artists. All right, guys, thanks so much. Never stop pushing and never give up. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Push Diaries Podcast. Please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast, too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pushdiariespodcast. Thank you for listening.